All right, I'm going to steal a music stand somewhere here. All right. Um, so if you didn't get the cue earlier, now's the time. If you still want to send your kids down, you certainly can. Um, if you came in late, I am addressing the events of Friday. So if you have children that you don't want to be a part of that, you can send them down. There'll be stuff going on downstairs, okay? Um, before I pray, a couple things. Uh, thank you, Youth Ministry, for doing this. That's a great thing. I think that's just awesome that you came up here and talked about this. That's great. And the video was really good. So um, other thing is, after church, we usually do cross-training, which is kind of our adult Sunday school class. And uh, that will be m- more of a focus on prayer for the events from Friday. We'll pr- pray for families, pray for stuff going on there. Just so you know, that'll be a little bit different. So if you haven't normally come, maybe jump into this. And if you've always been coming, you know, we're just going to spend some time prayer. And the class is on prayer, so that kind of makes a lot of sense. So let's pray, and then we'll uh, get into things today. Lord Jesus, uh, we, we don't have all the answers. You have the answers. We can give opinions, and, and it could be as good as anybody else's opinion, but, but we want to know your truth. We want to see what your word has to say about life's most difficult questions, the questions that get stirred up when, when we encounter tragedy on this scale. And, and I, know, I know we have questions. I know we have fears. I know, I know we have things that we want to know. What do you have to say about this? So, uh, God, I pray that you be with us now in this moment to, to help us answer questions, to help us think biblically about, uh, about tragedy. And so uh, we invite you here. We ask you to speak through your word. Um, with the little preparation that I had yesterday, I ask that you'd use my words, as feeble as they might be, to, to communicate what is going on, how we can think about this clearly. So, uh, God, be with us now. Uh, be with us as we move into the prayer time afterwards. Um, God, bless our kids as they're downstairs. Um, bless their time together, and I give all this to you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So there are no notes on the on the screen behind me, but you will have notes in your bulletin. If you don't have a bulletin, that would be kind of good to have right now because I pretty much put my sermon on the notes in the bulletin. There's no blanks to fill in, but it'll help you follow along. So um, does anyone still need a bulletin? Ushers, if we could just have a couple bulletins for those that didn't get one. That'll be a good thing to have now, so just raise your hand and the ushers will get you uh, one of those. During one of our national tragedies, uh, the one that was 9-11, I remember I was in Chicago and I was attending Moody Bible Institute and uh, I was going into my class at the Solheim Center, which is the athletic center. And I remember the TV on in in the foyer of that athletic center and it it showed the events that were happening right at that moment. And then I heard that all students were supposed to go back to their dorm rooms and await further notice. And uh, we went back to our dorms and... As the day went on, I noticed people were leaving the city in droves. You know, Chicago was emptying as much as it could. And I remember uh, thinking, this, this really does affect people. That is, even though this is New York City and I'm in Chicago, there's still a very real fear that people carry when these th- kind of things happen, when these tragedies happen. 
And so uh, there really is the necessity of looking at God's Word and saying, what does God say when tragedy strikes? What should we be thinking about when these things happen? I'm very mindful that, that we're, we're in the Christmas season and you're going to be spending time with family and friends and this may very well be brought up. People are talking about this. And people that don't have Christ and don't know the truth of Scripture, they maybe have even more questions than anyone else to say, what is going on here? Or maybe they have answers that just aren't biblical answers. Like it was just chance and it was random and it's, it's too bad, it's unlucky. But, but we have real truth. We have something to stand on. And so even if everything I say today are things that you say, I knew that, I knew that, and I knew that, at least we're rehearsing things that are true. So that when the time comes when we can talk to somebody about this, when we go to work on Monday and this gets brought up, we have something to say. I think that's helpful. It's helpful for me to rehearse these things in my mind so I can think of things to say when people ask. I know I've already seen, you know, I know Facebook is one of those tools where we can put instant reactions onto the internet. This is what I'm dealing with right now and I'm putting it out online for all to see. And there was, there, you know, I have friends on Facebook, students that have gone through the youth ministry in Watoma that are on there saying, saying things like, I've devoted so much of my life to following God. This is what one guy said. And it just seems like he's so selfish not to stop something like this from happening. Okay? Now this is a guy that, again, I've, I've talked about these things with. We've had the deep conversations. I remember talking to this young man about the need for missions in the world. And I remember him saying, there's so many people that don't know Christ and, and they're going to die and not know and we don't know where they're going. And, and I said, you're burdened by this. That might be God pushing you into missions. This is the same guy that said, God seems so selfish today. And so it demands a response. And that's what I hope to give this morning from Scripture. No blanks to fill in. Just follow along and we'll look at some scriptures that shed light on a tragedy such as the one in Connecticut. Number one. I've started with maybe the the, the most difficult question of all. This is the one that that young man asked on Facebook for all the world to see. Why would a loving and all-powerful God allow something like this to happen? Here's the problem. If God is loving... And we know that He is. He is love. He defines love. If He is love, and He is all-powerful, that is, all things are in His hand, He can do whatever He wants, He can stop anything from happening, He can allow anything to happen, He has that kind of power, we know that. Why allow this to happen? When that young man could have woken up and... uh, and tripped on the way out and knocked his head and had a concussion. Why allow this to go through the way it played out? Why? Because that doesn't seem very loving. And what we do is, and and what other people do is, we put ourselves in the place of God and we say, if I were God, then I would have... And that's very uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable to talk with someone that feels that and pushes that. But we have to have an answer. I'd show you Job chapter 40. Let me read a verse out of Job chapter 30 first before I read Job 40 because Job 30 kind of sets it up a little bit. You know the story of Job who um, is a righteous man and Satan says, God, if, if, if I afflict him and take everything away, he will curse you. And God says, don't take his life, but take anything else that you want. And, and Satan takes Job's health, 
Satan ch- takes Job, Job's children. They all die. He's got him and his wife, and his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? And, and Job is wrestling with the tragedy in his life. He doesn't have all the answers, but he's wrestling with it. And Job's friends come along and they talk to him about it. They don't really have the greatest answers, but they talk to him about it. Some of them are good, some of them are not. But Job uh, chapter 30 has Job struggling with, with his life. And Job says in verse 20 of chapter 30, I cry out to you, O God, but you don't answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. I know you will bring me down to death, to the place appointed for all the living. So, so you get this uncomfortable feeling from Job that even though he's a righteous man, and even though he doesn't say, God, you've done evil, you still get this uncomfortable feeling like he's kind of accusing God here. So in Job chapter 40, this is what God says back, to Job, and you have it in your notes. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. And then Job answered the Lord, as God told him to, Answer me. And Job said, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? And this is what we do. We, we get dangerously close to condemning God to justify ourselves. The line of thinking that my young friend had on Facebook yesterday was, if I were God, I am a loving guy and I wouldn't have let this happen. And we begin to condemn God and say, I wouldn't have done this. I am so good as a person that this would not have happened. And that is a dangerous line of thinking to go down. God says, you want to do that to me? Let me question you then and see what you know. And then God goes on and if you read the rest of 40 and 41, God just lets Job have it and says, do you know about this? Do you know how I've got this planned? And do you know what I'm doing here? And Job doesn't have an answer for that. And at the end, he repents. The end of Job. But what I want to call your attention to most out of Job chapter 40 is Job's initial response to the Lord. I am unworthy. And then he says this. And this is, this is a good word for all of us. When you get into it with somebody and they start asking questions that you have no answers for, like why did God allow this to happen? You do this. And you resist the temptation to say, I've got the answer. And, and we hear people doing this, you know, and, and I don't mean to condemn them or judge them, but I know people get on the news and say, this is because we took God out of schools and, and they go on and on down the list of reasons why we deserve this. And, and I don't, I'm not condemning them. I'm not even judging what they're saying. I'm just saying, for me, I'm convicted often to say, because I don't know the reason God allowed this, because I don't know his plan, I put my hand over my mouth. And this is a mystery to me. Because you can't tell me that kindergartners deserve what they got. You can't tell me that was coming. You can't, you can't argue that. So why? I don't have the why. I don't have the why. Job didn't have the why. He said, I put my hand over my mouth. I know better than to question God this way. In, in an accusatory manner. 
So I think that's the best way to start. And, and, I, and I fully recognize I'm preaching a sermon on this. My hand is off my mouth as I talk this morning. But, but at the same time, there's so much that I don't know and that we don't know, and we do good to humble ourselves before that fact. Secondly, when we look at why would a loving God, an all-powerful God, allow such evil, the second thing we might say about this is that God is compassionate and will help the brokenhearted. He will put an end to all pain and evil. Look at Psalm ten seventeen. By the way, if you want to meditate on a psalm this week, Psalm 10 is one of the best. To meditate on the reality of evil and God's response to it. I, I highly recommend it to you. I almost just preached Psalm 10 this morning because it's, it is so excellent in that area. The psalmist says, You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them. You listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. And then Revelation 21.4, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. God is a God who is near to the brokenhearted. That is the, that is the truth of Scripture throughout the whole thing, throughout the whole sweep. God is close to those that are hurting. He cares about them. He's not looking at this going, well, you got what you deserve. He's saying, this is a tragedy and my heart is broken for the lives lost here. That is the God that we serve. He's also the God that will one day destroy evil, will eradicate death. There'll be no more suffering, no more pain, and no more tears. This is the promise of revelation. One time, I sat down with a group of college students, and I read through the whole book of Revelation in one sitting. Yes, our faces were white by the end of it, but um, it was it was intense. And and I remember that the person leading the study said, "Now tell me your impressions after reading the whole book all the way through." And you know what? I wasn't impressed with the description of the Antichrist or the description of the beast or, or, the, or the great harlot of Babylon or the bulls of judgment. I wasn't impressed with some of those things that we kind of get stuck on and, and are, are the Christians going to go through the tribulation or you know all these different questions that we really tend to focus on. I was impressed with this and I remember saying it to the group. I said, I read this book in one sitting and I feel like God is going to deal with the evil of the world. God is going to deal with it so that there is no more of it. Christ is coming back. And he's not coming as a gentle baby. He comes as a conquering savior, a conquering judge who will right all wrongs. That's when I read Revelation from cover to cover. That's the impression I get overall. We have a God who will conquer evil. And so when people start talking to us and saying things like, God doesn't care. Psalm 10 has that whole train of thought. God seems like he's far off. When people say that and say, God shouldn't have allowed this. Why does God allow evil in the world? Tell me why. I wouldn't allow this. We say God will stamp out evil. He will deal with everything one day. That's when Christ returns. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. God is patient and he waits for sinners to repent. That's the period we're in right now, this waiting time where God is waiting for sinners to repent. And then he will come back and we won't see any more tragedies like the one of Friday. So God is a God who will deal with evil. 
Second question. How do we talk about this tragedy? How do we talk with our kids? I've not spoken with my children on this. I just, full disclosure here. Um, I don't want them to be scared, first of all. I, re- I really, my wife and I talked about this. We don't want them to be fearful being in a school environment. So I've not addressed this. I, I might still. But to today, I have not yet. But it reminds me that I've got to think about how I am going to talk about it. How will you talk about it? How do you talk about it with coworkers? How do you... But, but really, I'm thinking primarily parent to child. How do you discuss something like this? A couple ideas. Psalm 139.13. I highly recommend reading the verses as you talk about it with your kids because it, it shows you that God says this. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they were outnumbered the grains of sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. We declare that God has made us And he has ordained the number of our days. That before you were born, when you were in your mother's womb, God ordained how many days you would have. You get no more and you get no less. And I don't say that to present any sort of harsh reality with those kindergarten students or those teachers that that were taken too early. But God has ordained their days. He has them written in his book. And then we say, well, I would have given them more days. That's what I would have done. Well, sure, I would have done that too. But look at the psalmist after he talks about his days being ordained. He says, how precious are your thoughts in verse 17. How vast is the sum of them. They're more than the grains of sand. Believe it or not, University of Hawaii decided to try to figure out how many grains of sand are on all the beaches in all the world. It's 75 with 17 zeros after it. Whatever that number is. <laughs> 75 with 17 zeros after it. And that's just the sand on the beaches. That's not talking about the sand on the ocean floor and, and the deserts and throughout the world. It's just the beaches we're talking about now. But just the beaches is 75 with 17 zeros after it. A number that I can't even picture in my mind, nor can you probably. And the psalmist says, Your thoughts are so many, they're more than all the grains of sand in all of the world. God has thoughts that we can't even imagine. His ways are not our ways, His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're so high above ours. Can you trust a God with those kinds of thoughts when He allows such tragedy to happen? I believe you can. I believe the God that made us and cares about us and still allows tragedy and has thoughts that are deeper than any, anyone in, in we can even imagine, that's a God who can be trusted. That's the God that we serve. How else can we talk about this tragedy with our children? I would read Matthew 10.28. This is what Jesus says. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father? And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. And so we say, God, the judge and Savior of humanity, values every hair on our head, so we have no need to fear human destroyers. God says, Jesus says, there is a limit to what a person can take from you. They can take your life. They cannot take your soul. God is responsible for your soul. And so as bad as it can get and and as evil as things can be and the loss that we can experience in this life, it's the next life that's even more profoundly significant. And I don't say that in an unmerciful and ungracious way. I'm just saying what Jesus said. We are scared sometimes about things that can happen. Jesus admits that, but he says, don't be afraid because in the next life, your soul is safe with God if you acknowledge him in this life. He will acknowledge you in the next life. And so you have nothing to fear because if they take your life here, your life goes on forever in the next. And that is one of the most hopeful things you can possibly tell anybody. This life is not all there is. Let me tell you, some of our hopelessness over the events of Friday may derive from the fact that we're not thinking eternity here. We're thinking this life only. And if you're God and you can step back and see all of eternity like that, you'd say, this is, this is your life now. This is how much you have. This is eternity. This is what I'm giving you once you're in my presence in heaven. So don't fear the one that can take this much away from you. Fear me because I have all of this, this eternity in my hands. That's the word of God. And of course, this verse also has the, maybe in it somewhere, you can see also the nature of God being the judge. Whoever, acknowledge, whoever does not acknowledge me before men, I won't acknowledge them in heaven. There's very real judgment for the one who destroys others. There's very real judgment for the one that does not acknowledge God and does not commit their life to him and ask for salvation. So even in this, you see God God knows and says, I will deal with those who make you scared for your life. I I will deal with them because they don't acknowledge me. I won't acknowledge them. The other thing I'll point out in this passage that you should definitely tell your kids, God has the hairs on your head numbered. Take take their hair, you know, pull on a little bit and, uh, and say, God knows how many hairs are on your head. And when one comes off, when you comb your hair out, girls, and you lose the hair. I just saw some of my daughter's hair the other day when they were brushing her hair out. God knows how many you lost when I brushed your hair right then. If God cares about an insignificant thing like hair, how much more does he care about you? If he's got every hair numbered, then he has every day also numbered that you're going to have. He's got your protection in his hands. He knows all of this. When we're driving in the car and a bird hits the windshield and and goes off to the side of the road and dies... We just keep driving. We don't stop and hold a service for the bird. But God sees the bird and God actually cared that you hit it. Now I'm not saying he's judging you for it, but he cares that that little bird died. And we just keep driving. 
So never let us say that somehow God cares less about this tragedy than, than we do. And that we are so loving that we would have stopped it. God cares about every single bird. How much more every single student and teacher that lost their lives on Friday. This is the God that we serve, that even knows every bird that falls. Let's talk about our, this tragedy with our children. Something like that. Number three, how do we understand such depravity? How do we begin to wrap our minds around the fact that this, these are the kinds of things that happen in the world today? And I would take you to Genesis 4, verse 3. Shortly after Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you have the first murder. Genesis 4, 3 in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. We see Cain, and the issue is worship. Cain says, I'll bring some of my fruits of my labor as a sacrifice, while Abel brings the best he can offer the Lord. And God says, I accept the offering that's the best. I'm rejecting yours, Cain, because it's clearly not the best. You're not really worshiping me. You're more worshiping yourself. This is about worship here. When people worship themselves, understand, we have evil living in us. Every single human that is ever born has evil living. It's an infection. We pass it on to our kids. Adam and Eve pass it on all the way down to us. And when we worship ourselves, we allow evil to grow. And it grows and it grows and it grows and sometimes it bubbles over, it boils over and we have tragedies like the one of Friday. Evil is in all of us and we do well to remember that every single person needs to deal with their evil with the blood of Christ. Okay, it's not just one person. It's not just a mentally disturbed individual or whatever else they're saying about this young man. Evil is evil and it exists Jesus died to take care of it on the cross so that we have the hope of heaven in the day when God takes care of all evil and we can be with him. So in Cain, I see a man who worshiped more himself. I see a man who was mastered by sin. God says sin is crouching at your door. It's, God uses the language of a, of, a, of a tiger ready to pounce on somebody. It's crouching, ready to have you. But, he's, but God says, don't do that. You must master it. And then for reasons we don't know, God allowed Cain to kill his brother Abel. We don't know why, but God allowed it to happen. And God still held Cain responsible for it as the story goes on. So we are filled with evil. We need Christ to help us handle it. And then I would say, if, how do we understand such depravity? And by the way, just so I'm clear here, when I made the connection to Adam and Eve, what I'm saying is Adam and Eve introduced evil to us and we have perpetuated it over and over and over again. We made the choice to disregard God's law. We've made the choice. This is on us, it's not on God. 
and, and to put and to put the period at the end of that sentence. This is James 1.13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin when it is full grown, as we saw on Friday. Sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. God did not tempt anyone to do this incredible evil. God didn't do it. He allowed it. He didn't commit it. Let's make sure we keep that clear. Especially when we talk to people about why we see such depravity in our country and in the world today. Fourthly, how do we handle our own fears? This one gets to the heart of us, doesn't it? Where we say, it's scary to send your kids to school. Should not be. Should not be. But we feel that because we know that people do evil. And so fear is a natural consequence of that evil. This is what Paul says in Philippians. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything. Well, easier said than done when we feel the anxiety come over us. Paul says, but here's what you ought to do. Pray, petition, thank God. What Paul's answer is, if you're feeling anxious about this, if you're worried about this, I want you to pray. Pray for your children. Pray for your teachers. Pray for your principals. Pray for them. Pray for yourself. Thank God. Thank God for your children. Thank God for their teachers. We've already heard the heroic stories of of some of the ones in Connecticut. Thank God for them. Thank God for your family. Thank God for your school. And then you are protected by the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Do you know what transcends all understanding means? It means that on the face of it, we may have very real fears. It may be very, very real to us. We understand there's evil in the world. We understand the things that can happen. And yet God's peace goes deeper than what we even know. God's peace goes deeper than the reality that we're faced with. This is what I pray for, for, the, for the families that are grieving in Connecticut and the friends. I mean, they need the peace that goes deeper than what they're facing this morning. They need peace that's stronger than reality. And that's exactly what God offers us. This is a promise. It's a promise. God promises that if you give your petitions to me and your requests with thanksgiving, I will give you peace. It's yours to have. Let's ask for it. Let's be thankful. Let's pray. Let's commit our children to Jesus who will always do a much better job taking care of them than us. That doesn't mean we can't apply our own wisdom to taking care of our kids. We have responsibility as parents and teachers have responsibility to care for our kids as best as they can. But at the end of the day, God is there. So I encourage you to do some praying to settle your own heart. I encourage you to do some thanksgiving to settle your own heart and receive the peace of God. And then fifthly, Finally, what happens 
to young children who pass away. When I was in uh, Bible school, this is one of those late night conversations that students like to have. Most of them probably are not married and have no idea the pain that a parent would actually go through that's faced with the reality of losing a child or losing a grandchild, but we talk about it. And some of them would like to say, I, I don't see real concrete evidence that, that babies and young children like these kindergartens go to be with heaven and with God. I disagree as strongly as I possibly could with that kind of sentiment. And this is why. Matthew nineteen thirteen. The little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who, were brought, to, who brought them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. If you read Mark's version of this passage, which I was meditating on last night before I went to bed, Mark even includes the words, uh, you have to receive the kingdom of God like a little child. That these kids are examples of how we receive God and the kingdom of God. Now think about this, because some people will say, that is just an analogy. You have to receive the kingdom of heaven like a child. But the analogy breaks down if it's not based on the reality. So I want you to think about that. If Jesus is saying... <laughs> The kingdom of heaven belongs to children and you should receive the kingdom like a child. But by the way, if these kids died today, they wouldn't actually go to the kingdom of God. The analogy completely crumbles. Okay? He might as well not have said it because it doesn't help us. I think this passage helps parents and grandparents and friends and the people of Connecticut. It helps us because it's true. Because children, they have no choice on whether they're going to receive God or not. They're so young. They have no real understanding and concept of the judgment of God and the sin of the world. They go to be with God. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as them. The analogy works because it's based on the truth. If the analogy is not based on the truth, it doesn't work and Jesus shouldn't have said it. This is hope for every parent. I am convicted that Jesus is saying here, Children come to be with me when they pass away, before they have any chance to respond, before they reach what we might call an age of accountability, whatever that age is. They go to be in the arms of their Savior. The other reason I might offer as evidence, strong evidence is, you see Jesus blessing these children and the question becomes, does Jesus bless people that are not in a right relationship with him? I found no examples in the gospel where Jesus explicitly blesses somebody that's not right with him. Maybe there's an example out there, but I've not seen it. Jesus blesses these children. And they're blessed because should they perish that very day, they would go to be with their Savior. So these are five questions. I hope we've provided some biblical answers. I know that there's so many other scriptures I could have picked, but I prayerfully just ask God which ones come to my heart, which questions are the most pertinent and profound, and these are the ones that I've chosen to address. If you'd wish to talk about it later or this week, I'd certainly love to sit down with anybody and just, let's just talk, let's just pray. 
I invite you to stay for cross-training if you want to and pray together with us for, uh, just for the families, for ourselves and our own fears. And uh, let's commit these things to God. I'm going to pray now. I invite the worship team to come up. We're going to close with one uh, last song. Lord Jesus, uh, I am thankful that even as I know teachers in Three Lakes and principal and and other people that are involved with our children, that I know that they have such good hearts. And and I pray for them. I I think of them and, and I pray that they would lead our children well. I'm thinking about that great responsibility that they have, that they love well and lead well and protect well. I know that they might encounter questions this week and I pray that they would have good and truth-based answers for kids that might ask questions or parents that might ask questions. God, fill them with your wisdom and make them a blessing to people that they talk to. I pray for parents and grandparents and family and 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 friends that, that struggle with, with some of the fear and anxiety that these kind of things create. We know that our days are in your hands, but sometimes we still feel the fear of it. And we don't want our kids to fear, and so we're, we're concerned about whether they will pick this up and carry this. And God, I pray that your peace would guard us, that your peace would go deeper than the fears that we have, deeper than our anxiety, deeper than the reality of evil in the world. May your peace go deeper than all those things. God, for the conversations that we will have with friends, neighbors, family, may we have good biblical answers for them. May we not get in duke them out arguments where, where tempers flare, but may we mercifully, carefully, lovingly, gently talk about the truth that we know and the things that we don't know, may we cover our mouth and not say more than what we need to. There's mystery here. We don't know the end of all this. We don't know what you're trying to accomplish here, but we trust you. We trust you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
you're here this morning and you uh, don't know Christ as Savior, we've been talking about this, that evil's real and it's in all of us. And, and so a lot of us have come to Christ and said, forgive me, I trust in your death. You paid for my sin so I could have the hope of heaven. I, I want to acknowledge you before men so that you will acknowledge me one day when I meet you. If that's on your heart, I'd like to lead you in a prayer today. Would everybody bow their heads and close their eyes? And if you're here and you're like, yeah, I need to acknowledge Christ right now and ask His forgiveness. I want to follow Him. I want to believe that His death has saved me from the evil that's in me. If that's you and you want to pray today, would you look up at me and we will pray together this morning? If you want to acknowledge Him. All right. I want to lead you in a prayer. You can pray this in your heart. The, the two or three of you that looked up at me and anyone else that wants to as well. Let's pray and let's ask Christ for his forgiveness. Let's acknowledge him now. Lord Jesus, I pray for these that looked up and uh, I pray that they might be able to pray a prayer something like this. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. There is evil in my heart too. But I I know that you died on a cross to pay for it, to pay for the price I deserve to pay, and that you rose from the dead. So I ask for you to forgive me, to cleanse me, and give me the hope that when I pass away, when my days come to their end and and that are written in your book, that I will close my eyes in death and open them and the first thing I will see is you. Thank you for saving me now. In Jesus' name I pray. And for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that we would be a blessing in this community this week, that as we talk to people and as people talk to us, may we be a blessing by what we say regarding the events of last week. Oh God, help us think biblically, help us trust you, help us proclaim that you are good even when life seems so not good. Bless our children, please protect them, we pray. Bless our teachers, fill them with wisdom and love, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you.